Was Lee Harvey Oswald secretly just an anti-mutant extremist? What's up, Story Geeks? It's Daryl Smith. On today's podcast, Amon Warman, freelance film journalist and frequent contributor to Empire Magazine, joins Jay Shear and me to dig deeper into X-Men Days of Future Past. This is episode three in our X-Men series. Be sure to check out last week's episode on X-Men Apocalypse, which was a nerd fight to determine how to make that film better. And let me tell you, that is a good episode that you want to listen to. Coming up next week, we're going to rank all of the X-Men movies. So that should be super fun, too. Don't miss out on these episodes or anything else we've got coming up. Subscribe for free on your preferred podcast provider. For articles written by Ashley Pauls and Anthony Holder, and to access all of our premium content, including our aftercasts, visit thestorygeeks.com. On today's aftercast, the follow-up podcast to this one, we discuss the X-Men in the MCU and take a big old dive into a rabbit hole about a discussion about the MCU. So definitely join us for that. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Now let's dig deeper into X-Men Days of Future Past. Before we jump into the podcast, here's Bobby Nash. If you remember, he was on the podcast to kick off our X-Men series. And he's giving away a prize packet, and he's going to announce the winner of the Summer of Snow promotion. So here's Bobby Nash. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to pick the winner of the Snow prize pack as part of our the Summer of Snow promotion. Uh, thanks to everyone who... Uh, like the post or emailed me directly, you know, to enter the contest to win a snow prize pack. I'd also like to thank Jay and Daryl for having me on the show and for being part of the Summer of Snow giveaway. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to draw our winner. Drum roll, please. Congratulations to Ray DeLeon. Ray, is, uh, you have won a snow prize pack, which includes uh, snowfalls in ebook and audiobook format. Uh, both of those will be winging your way shortly. Congratulations again. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, for those who who did not win, you can learn more about Snow Series at www.ben-books.com. That's B-E-N-books.com. There are four snow books currently available and a collection and more on the way. And I hope you'll check it out again. Thanks to the guys for having me on and we'll see you next time on the story geeks. Thanks Bobby. And congratulations to Ray DeLeon. You won the prize packet. How cool is that? Stay tuned for more giveaways from the story geeks. We have our new novel coming out time slingers and make sure you check out all of Bobby Nash's work. He's a fantastic writer and a friend of the show. So please go and support him. Amon Warman, thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It is a pleasure to have you. We have listened to you on the Empire podcast and enjoyed your stuff there, so we're excited to talk to you today. Such pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No pressure. No pressure. Well, thank um, you. Be before we dive into our topic, why don't you just let people know a little bit about what you do and where they can find you? Yeah, so I am a contributor to Empire Magazine. Uh, I was on the Avengers Endgame podcast. I will be on a podcast in the future if and when they go up. Talk to Chris Hewitt about that. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm also a video editor. I make these videos uh, every summer called the Summer Blockbuster, a montage uh, where I sort of take all the 
trailers for the upcoming blockbuster movies and uh, mash them up into a three-minute supercut. Um, you can find that on my YouTube channel, uh, Omonymous. There's a theme here. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can also find it on uh, my Twitter, which is at A Woman. Two ends. Awesome. I think a montage is my favorite word of the day. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty epic. Yeah, that works really well for me. <laughs> yeah, got a brand cool. it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are here to talk about X Men: Days of Future Past. We're going to dig deep into it. Um, this is what is this? This is the third episode in our X Men series. This is the third. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. We've gone slightly out of order. We did first class, and then we detoured over to Apocalypse, and now we're coming back to Days of Future Past. <laughs> we, we're as convoluted in our history as exactly. The <laughs> <laughs> Why do we have to have a good timeline if they don't have <laughs> yeah, to? That's right. <laughs> um, but let's start off just real high level with uh, what did we think of this movie? So, Aman, what did you think of it? I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I still remember distinctly sort of, you know, watching it at the press screening and just getting excited. You know, one of the things which I really love, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big sort of nerd for film scores, and John Ottman, who also edits um, uh, these films, uh, he did the score for this. And one of the big things, we, I, talk, I talk about MCU uh, sort of uh, film scores a lot, and about the fact that they've only recently called on to the fact that thematic continuity matters. <laughs> um, but John Ottman was doing that years before the MCU was doing that, and that uh, you know gets you yeah. excited. And they, they, they even have it in the you know when they do the 20th Century Fox sort of fanfare that yeah. that ends with the, the flurry of the X Men theme, and that's really mm. really cool. Um, but yeah, just not just in terms of the action. I mean, obviously the, the Quicksilver scene is you know the standout sequence in many respects, at least action wise. But every time the characters just sit down to talk with each other, those scenes are the ones which I really remember and which elevate this film, uh, make, make, the, make it a cut above uh, the, other, the other films in sort of the X-Men Marvel Fox franchise. Um, I think of the scenes, I think, I think of the scene between uh, Xavier's Patrick Stewart and James McAvoy's Patrick Stewart, which is incredible. I think of the scene between McAvoy's Patrick Stewart and Fazbender on the plane, incredible. Stuff like that um, really, really impressed me uh, watching it for the first time and still impressed me today. Um, so yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I believe I gave it four stars in my review uh, for mm. whichever publication I was doing it for. Um, I would stand <laughs> by that. Yeah. Awesome. How about you, Jay? I, I dug it too. I, I, so when I first saw this film, I remember I was comparing it to first class sure okay. and having seen first class that was kind of like my favorite now we're gonna head into a ranking show next week yeah. i'm not sure anymore like I, I have to like really parse through all these movies because i like them for different reasons now did you go back and watch the last stand because it might surprise you <laughs> no, i have not watched it yet no, i don't think it's gonna i'll go back you. and watch that and see if you yeah <laughs> it's probably not gonna surprise me you know, I think what I liked this time around, um, I think I like the design aesthetic because I like the time period that First Class is playing with better yeah. than I like the, the time period that uh, Days of Future Past is playing with. But what I really liked about Days of Future Past this time around was that it brought up a lot of nostalgia for me for the TV show, the cartoon. And that oh. was like my favorite thing as a kid was the cartoon. And there was always the there was always the Sentinels, and the Sentinels were always around. They were like the main focus, right? Yeah. So for me, this brought up a lot of nostalgia for that cartoon, which was essential to my geekdom as a kid. 
Yes. Absolutely. Shoot. And so that stuff, I think for me, that stuff was uh, came back in a way that I was like, oh, I like this film a lot more. I like what they're playing with. I like the themes they're playing with. Yeah. Those are more central to the X-Men in my experience of the X-Men, which is a little less comic heavy and a little bit more, again, cartoon heavy. Yeah. So uh, I enjoyed it a lot more this time around, actually. Yeah. I love it, too. Um, I, you mentioned the the 90s cartoon. Yeah, yeah. And Amon, you mentioned the, how they used the theme in the fanfare. And it's cool because the theme is actually a little bit reminiscent of the 90s cartoon theme, too. Mm, which, true. So you get that vibe. Yeah. Um, but I'm with you guys. I love this. And Amon, like you said, the performances, watching it again. I mean, this is probably my, I don't know, sixth or seventh time seeing this. Oh, film, is it but, really? But um, the more I watch it, the more I appreciate the performances. And, dude, James McAvoy is... Oh. A machine. <laughs> that dude is insane. Yeah, he's very insane. He's so that, good. That, that, that scene I mentioned between him and Patrick Stewart, he shot that on day one. Yeah. Um, which is just insanely impressive. But yeah, the, there's also the... I mean, I obviously we now have the hindsight of X-Men Apocalypse and X-Men Dark Phoenix. Um, and just watching this film, the connection to both sets of casts that we don't have with Apocalypse and we don't have with Dark Phoenix, we absolutely have here. And really, it would have been nice if this was the final film, the final X-Men film that we got because it ties everything together up so mm. nicely yeah, uh, yeah, and so satisfyingly, um, you know, time, you know, timeline notwithstanding. Um, so, so yeah, uh, just n n knowing you know, how disappointing Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix were in that regard, is it was nice to return to that and mm. to really feel that again. Yeah. Well, let's focus in on the timeline a little bit, because obviously this movie was sort of intended to correct those issues, right? Like, this was Brian Singer's return to the X-Men franchise, and he had kind of intended to really fix things. Because after X-Men Origins Wolverine, after First Class, after the Wolverine, things started to get kind of convoluted. I feel like I already know the answer to this question, <laughs> but uh, Jay, I'll start with you on this one. Do you think it accomplished correcting the timeline? Well, I think Amon just basically said it. Like it, it fixes it. Fast forward a couple more there. movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, it gets kind of weird. Um, now, I will say this first off, just starting from the first point, I don't really care all that much. Yeah, it doesn't need to be uh, perfect. Like the MCU is kind of as close to perfect as we've probably ever seen. I just don't care. Yeah. Um, I don't think it needs that. If I have standalone films that sort of kind of fit together, I'm totally cool with that. Uh, I don't know after we get Dark Phoenix and after we get Apocalypse, to me, Mystique and Jean Grey, I don't understand where like how those fit together. I don't understand how those work. Um, if I'm not mistaken, in Apocalypse... Or mistaken. <laughs> Well, it's another way of saying it that I won't do. Um, uh, in, in Apocalypse, don't we see don't we see Jean Grey do the Phoenix thing? And then we have a whole movie about her becoming the Phoenix. Like, I, know, well, yeah, I, don't, yeah, I don't understand. Like, how do we get there? But so this is why, Jay. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I think I think uh, now I, I am so I'm going beyond your question because I'm comparing this to the whole timeline, not sure. just this movie. Because um, like Amon said, this movie kind of fixes a lot of it. But I think Eric transitions the best throughout the whole series. Um, 
Charles and Logan transition pretty well, except I think I probably need a little bit more info on getting to the Logan storyline, right? Like, because mm -hmm. we we see we even see um, what's the dude's name? The guy the guy that's with them, uh, shaved headed dude. Oh, Caliban. Caliban. We see Caliban in Apocalypse even, and we're like, I just don't know how you get from this to then getting to Logan, yeah. right? And again, I don't need them to do that. I don't care that much. Um, but those are the things I would say that I call out that I go, some of these character arcs work really well and then smoothed out over time. Uh, but going back to Amon's point, if they ended with Days of Future Past, they would have solved a lot of that stuff. And we I, we wouldn't even have this conversation as being like kind of awkward. Right. What do you think, Amon? I don't know where you're getting all this. I think that this movie fixed the timeline stuff because that is incorrect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the answer to this question is no. And that's a capital N, a capital O, and you might want to add a few more capital O's after that capital O, so it really is more Darth Vader-esque. No! Yes. It's a um, Revenge of the Sith, no. <laughs> yeah. um, I have so many questions watching this film, and the, the, the thing I would give this film is that you're not really thinking about it too much in the moment, but when you sort of step back and actually try and figure it out, it makes no sense. How is Magneto Quicksilver's dad if Fazbender is only 10 years older than Evan Peters? How are Wolverine's claws metal again in the future after being, you know, you know, after he had the adamantium taken from him in the Wolverine? How is Xavier in another Patrick Stewart body after, you know, he transferred his consciousness into another human body at the end of um, X-Men The Last Stand? How does Kitty all of a sudden have the ability to transport people back in time? Wolverine gets taken away by Striker at the end of Days of Future Past. Except Striker is actually a mystique. What's going on? What? <laughs> Why? How? What? Why? How? What? What is going on? So, I mean, um, the thing is, you know, again, in the moment, it might not matter. But when you're talking about, you know, massive sagas like this, which have films before and films after, retconning it in this way without offering a clear explanation means that the things which happened in past movies all of a sudden don't matter as much as they did when watching that movie because, mm. you know, those movies had consequences. Again, with Wolverine's Claws, with, you know, Xavier, uh, you know, I guess inverted commas, dying, those were massive consequences in those films and mm. you're retconning them with no explanation as to why. Mm. And that is a problem. Um, the, fact that, you know, the fact that you're not thinking about it in the moment is a testament to how good this movie is and that it just about gets away with it when you're watching the film, but, you know, it does not hold up at all. And, you know, there's, 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 there's no explanation you could give me where, you know, it will be halfway feasible. There's just not. Mm. <coughs> That's a far better answer. Yeah, and I'm not going to try to. I'm, I'm not going to try to argue with you. I agree. I don't think it. I don't think it fixes it. I do like one thing about this as opposed to the other ones because all of these films have done i mean since first class mm. they've all done the 10 year time jump right oh yeah and i feel like in this one it made sense i feel like this one works like i look at this version of mcavoy and nicholas holt and fastbender i'm like okay i can see this being 10 years later yeah once we get to Apocalypse, no. <laughs> and then once we get to Dark Phoenix, it's like, well, by this point, shouldn't they just look like Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen? Right. I mean, this is the 90s now. Right. <laughs> like, it has been 40 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's insane. 
Yeah. Um, Logan, I was. I know we're not talking about Logan. Yeah. But I truly believe that Logan would be just as good if none of these movies had ever come out before it. Almost mm, better in some ways, honestly. I I you, disagree with that. That relationship between Xavier and Logan, yeah, is really powerful, and having the knowledge of that relationship makes Logan even more powerful it does, uh, than, yes, that's than, true. than it would have been otherwise. Um, so that relationship especially, really, you, you need that. You need that history to make Logan, make Logan hit as hard as it does. That's a good point. I think the, the problem with Logan is that, because we're not going to talk about it so we can give it a little detour here. And just, <laughs> we love detours. The, I think the problem with Logan is that it's so tonally off of what the rest of this the rest of the series is pretty uh i'll use the word bubblegummy like it's not really digging into anything it kind of bring, it's, it's your traditional blockbuster movie formula yeah where logan is like your art house movie formula it's very very different so i i, I agree with, i agree with them on that like if you look at the two relationships yeah like you need some backstory there because otherwise you don't I'm not sure if you went into Logan without seeing any of the other films that you would feel as sympathetic for Charles as you do. That's true. You just think he's a crazy old man. Right. You just be like, this dude's <laughs> crazy. I've never even, you know, but, um, but he's Picard. We would love him for that. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe, maybe, but I do think that it's, that it is, I think one of the reasons why it's Logan is so cool in comparison to the rest of them is that they did take it in such a different direction given the history that we have. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it is very different tonally. But yeah, yeah. in a really, really good way. Um, I, I remember watching the press screening for that film, and oh my goodness, you know, I I implicitly knew that you know Logan rated R uh, is going to be you know very bloody or whatever. But the first five minutes of that movie, oh, oh my lord! I yeah. gotta tell you, I mean. I no, I was, I was going to say I never audibly sort of say anything, in, in, but that, that that's that's kind of a lie. But still, the first five minutes when 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 he's hacking people off, I like went holy shit, audibly, it was so brutal, audibly. Yeah. Like yeah. the person sort of sitting next to me remembers my reaction very vividly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was not ready for that, and that in terms of a tone setter, my goodness, it's like okay, yeah. this is this is a different X Men movie when. He sticks his claws through the guy's chin, and you see them pop up at the top of his head. Whew, yeah. Just thinking about it now it makes me just go, "Damn!" Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was good. In, in, a, in a really good way. I, I, lo I love what they did with that movie. I think it's a five-star movie. I think um, I, I did a, a Marvel sort of you know box franchise rankings after Dark Phoenix, and I think I put Logan number one, X Men two number two, and Days of Future Past number three. Mm. Um, so so yeah, I I hold Logan in very high regard. Mm. It's great. Awesome. It is great. Um, okay, I'm gonna steer us back to Days of Future Past here. So we come into this story in a dark future where what seems to be the worst possible outcome of this mutant versus human struggle has occurred. Now both races are being enslaved and basically slaughtered by the Sentinels. So given Magneto's past and the events of X Men First Class. And we just did a an episode on Raiders of the Lost Ark, so we're talking about Nazis a lot lately. Yeah, sheesh. <laughs> Talk it's, about depressing. I know. It's hard not to compare this to the Holocaust. So 
I'm curious how you guys feel about that comparison and kind of what are the, the big lessons for us to learn from this here. So, Amon, you want to kick us off on that one? I'm going to let Jay kick, up, kick off on that one. <laughs> All right, Jay, kick us off on that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so, so um, we, we were talking about the podcast beforehand. We've done a lot of stuff this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I would love to be more prepared with this serious answer than I am. But if we, I think if we, you look at what caused the Holocaust to occur – you had a step-by-step breakdown in the society's perspective of humanity. Mm -hmm. That was primarily based on hardship and then turning hardship and fear into a weapon against, uh, I'll use the word tribe. So one tribe saying, I'm, we now have, we, we are now experiencing hardship. This is Germany after world war one and having all of the repercussions of economic failure, then having, then electing, or I don't even know if it's electing, so to speak, because I don't know their political system as well as I should. Um, but having a leader come to power who then played upon the economic and social fears of those, of that people group and that tribe to say, there are other tribes that are holding us back and holding us down, and those tribes must be eradicated. That is a, I think it's a very, scary thing to observe yeah because i don't think that it is well people from that area of the world are inherently more evil than other people like no i mean people all have the same capacity for evil right yeah um and so i think you got to be really careful when it comes to fear because fear as a driving force for some of these things is very is very it's very scary (laughs) i'm fearful of fear because fear causes people to do some pretty damaging pretty insane things so I think in that regard, it's a very um, it, there's some there's some pieces that we can tie together. Why is Trask building Sentinels? He's building Sentinels because he's afraid of a tribe that is unlike his tribe. Yeah. He's afraid that that tribe could oppress his tribe at some point in time. So therefore, let's take a stance. I mean, he says kind of like, "Oh, we want to live better together." I don't think that that's true. I think that he feels like that his tribe will be oppressed if he doesn't build something that can face off against the mutant tribe, if you will. Yeah. I think that that fear causes him to build the Sentinels and that fear causes him to see the mutants as something other than himself. I am very against viewpoints that cause us to look at other uh, tribes of people, people who are not like us, people who don't fit into our demographics or psychographics. I am very against seeing those other tribes as other and different and more so it's saying, look, we've got to look at all of this as we're humans. So they use it like, okay, remember the Neanderthals and then the Homo sapiens came in and took over the Neanderthals. That's what's going to happen with mutants. As opposed to saying, look, there's, this is another tribe of human beings. How can we, how can we support one another? How can we work together better? Um, what, what are some things that you need? What are some, some things that we need? And I think that's what Charles is trying to do, right? Like, like he's trying to bring all of the tribes together. But, uh, so I think that it's a, it's a fair comparison to make. I think that the thing that's unfair about it is that there are a lot of complexities that go into how does something as horrific as the Holocaust, how does that occur? I was just in Nuremberg 
um, oh, wow. last month. Yeah, and I was t- I was going around. They, they took us in a bus tour, and they were taking us past the, where they had like Nazi rallies and stuff. It is terrifying. It is terrifying that that could occur, right? So I think we have to check ourselves culturally and go, what's going on? Because if we start to fear more, uh, if we start to look at, well, we need to protect our nation versus their nation. We need to protect our ethnicity versus their ethnicity. That those are bad signs. Those are those are signs that we need to check ourselves on and go, wait, why is why does that fear exist? Why can't we figure out a way to be supportive of of humanity? Um, so I don't think it's a fair comparison in terms of the Holocaust is far more complex than what we're seeing in this film. Totally, but I do think it's a fair comparison in saying that fear is a baseline that drives us to those conclusions. Yeah. So remember this answer next time you tell me that you're not good when you don't prepare for an answer. <laughs> if that's your unprepared answer, well, I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, Amon, what do you think? <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah. <laughs> and comes, no, I'm joking. Um, it's definitely an apt comparison, and it's definitely scary. It's also very relevant considering what we're seeing in the world today. Um, mm, yeah, which is the scariest thing. Um, there are times when you know. I being being a freelancer, you sort of live in a bubble. Um, it's very easy to just sort of focus on you and yours, um, but and at the same time, you know, every, all the information is readily accessible on the internet. That there are people, especially sort of you know, you look at what's happening in the U.S. that you know would like me dead uh, for not anything to do with me, but just the color of my skin. Right. Um, so it's very very relevant um, and the X-Men series has always been relevant in that way. Mm. Um, in terms of the lessons we can learn, um, Jay, Jay hit on it uh, earlier, just to, you know, look at all of humanity as, as humanity and, and try to lift each other up and not, not tear each other down. Obviously, you know, both the X-Men series and the Holocaust are more complicated situations, X-Men with powers and Holocaust with everything that that entailed. But, that sort of very broad point, I think, still stands. Yeah, yeah for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's just a picture of, like you said, if you live out of fear, mm-hmm. and if you do these t- terrible things out of fear, eventually everybody is going to pay for that. Oh, you know, nobody's totally. going to win. Not to mention you. Yeah. Like the terrible things you do to your own soul. And I, okay, fine. I have a perspective that we have souls, but, right, yeah. but like, but, you know, your own character, your own. I don't think you can commit some of those acts and then just go on as if life is normal. No, that that takes a toll on you. Yeah, um, that's it's rough, man. Like I, it's sometimes it's hard to believe that that kind of evil could exist in the world and it could exist at that level. You know what I mean? Like uh, I think one of the things that's so crazy is that I, I I was talking about this trip where I was in Nuremberg, right? Like. Which, by the way, when I say it's so terrifying, there were Nazi rallies like at that, like right there. Like I'm sitting yeah. there looking at this fortress-looking thing, going, "Ah, yikes! Let's leave this area as soon yeah. as we can, right?" Um, but I think that when you look at like the like how how that thinking can turn into an entire nation, multiple nations banding together to do really nefarious things and i'm not going to pretend that that hasn't happened in our nation Mm -hmm. i'm not going to pretend that it hasn't happened in i mean there are there are horrible things that humans 
do. And when that becomes part of the system that's driving the entire tribe forward, man, that is scary. And it happens in all in, in lots of systems. It happens uh, in smaller systems where we've, we've even seen this happen um, in like things that we would like to look upon as being um, more righteous, right? Like you look at like whether it's the evangelical church, the Catholic church, you'd like to look at that and be like, oh, well, they're trying to do a lot of good things in the world. I'm not saying they're not. But look at some of the scandals that have come out of those areas. Yeah. So it's 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 something People that is... from those tribes are doing terrible things too. Yeah. And so I, I think that the first place you have to look, if you if you start to see if you start to see things that make you uncomfortable because people are starting to fear, I think the first thing you've got to do is look inside yourself. Because the other thing is, I would love to, uh, when I see a story on TV about, um, you know, some racist piece of shit, right? The first thing I want to do is, let's go take down those people, right? Yeah. I think the first thing you got to do is go, okay, wait a minute. I need to look in, look inside myself, see where where what is driving me, and now I need to go address that problem. Because mm. I might address that problem differently if I look at me first yeah. um, and understand where I'm coming from. But man, yeah, you got to, I think we could all use a little bit more of that looking inside ourselves <laughs> first. Yeah. Anyways. Um, okay. Why are the Sentinels such a menacing foe for the X-Men? You, you, you talked about watching the 90s cartoon. Yeah. They're all over that cartoon. They're all over the comics. They're a huge presence in this movie. What makes them so menacing to the X-Men? Amon, why don't you start us on this one? Yeah. I was surprised, I got to admit, when... I saw the movie because whenever I thought of Sentinels, I also, the 90s cartoon was very much the frame of reference I had. Mm, yeah. So I thought that, you know, obviously the Sentinels are a tough foe, but a well-organized X-Men would be able to, you know, overcome them. But, right. I mean, in the first 10 minutes of this movie, it's established that the Sentinels in the future are basically unbeatable because they can adapt to any mutant power. Mm. Um, so, you know, just that alone is a scary proposition, but I guess the fact that they can find you even if you're a mutant and you're hiding, um, no matter where you are, is the other sort of scary proposition because even if you're not sort of part of the fight, um, that doesn't matter to a sentinel. Um, so that's why basically the drastic action um, in this movie is called for because the way in which they've rendered the Sentinels in this movie is that they're basically in the future at least unbeatable mm. yeah 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 I think it's one of the things that makes the Sentinels so scary in the film too or or even in, in the cartoon they're not as scary because in the cartoon like there's they're like like Amon said they're like they're pretty beatable um and they <laughs> I just, are I, I've been sorry I've been, I've been yeah. watching the cartoon uh, a little bit um, when, when Dark Phoenix came out I got, got sort of went to X-Men Deep Dive and I watched the first episode again <laughs> and I'm sure you remember this Jay but the first or well, the second episode has Wolverine sort of taken out a sentinel because he thinks Morph has died and he has that line this one's for you Morph and he's, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, 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 I just I just thought of that when you're thinking of the sentinels right now it's just, it just makes me laugh every time that's but so sorry awesome. continue <laughs> that's great um I think what makes the Sentinels a little bit scarier in this film is that not only are they unbeatable or, or very difficult to beat, they are also 
very mindless. You're not changing their objective, yes. right? Yeah. Like they're gonna do. They're gonna kill mutants and potentially humans too, or, or other humans. They're gonna kill mutants because they're programmed to kill mutants, and and there's there's they're mindless. There's, you can't just stop them. Like, hey, Sentinels, hang on a second here. Yeah. What kind of money <laughs> would you like to see? This? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would prefer not to be on your list anymore. Mm. How can we? Yeah. How can we work this Unsubscribe. out? Unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I think that makes them even scarier because they're killing machines and they were built to be killing machines. And it's sort of like uh, your traditional sci-fi message where it's like, well, what happens if the robots get out of control? And that's what it feels like. Yeah. Here's me reading into it too yeah, much. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's what, to what we do. Yeah. That's what we do. <laughs> so to me, they are karma for evil mutants, basically. So... You look at oh. Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, right? Yeah. And you look at that approach to where they're going to say, we are drawing such a hard line about mm. us being who we are and you being who you are, and we are not going to move. Mm. Well, the Sentinels then come into it, and they are an absolutely immovable line. Like, maybe in the back of Magneto's head, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw this hard line with the humans, but they're still humans. Like, right. if I have to reason with them, I can't. <laughs> right, right. You know? Yeah. But not a sentinel. <laughs> you cannot reason <laughs> with sentinels. A sentinel comes in, it's like, no, this is what a hard line looks like, yeah, yeah, and now yeah. you're dead. Somebody <laughs> needs to show the sentinels the Matrix. <laughs> Be like, Absolutely. what if the one shows up, dude? Like, then you're screwed, so you need to watch that film. That's true. Caution. Or the anti-Matrix. That really goes deep into it. Yeah, <laughs> true. That's true. That's true. What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay. I'm excited because on July 19th, 2019, this coming Friday, as of the release date of this podcast, we're re-releasing Time Slingers, the time travel novel written by me and illustrated by Nathan Sheck. A Writer's Digest judge who reviewed Time Slingers said, fast pacing and powerful hooks will keep the attention of readers from the first page to the last. It seems to be one of those trailblazing pieces of work, giving it a place in literary history literary history wow we were very appreciative of that review and it's not just the writer's digest judge who liked it we've also had an incredible response from readers who liked the breakneck pacing and cliffhangers at the end of every chapter in fact one listener of the story geeks podcast chris said love the cliffhanger ending which is also a resolution. Not many stories can manage that. Thank you, Chris. We appreciate that comment. If you're looking for a fast-paced time travel adventure story with some depth to it, check out Time Slingers. It's available on Amazon.com right now for pre-order, and the official launch date is July 19th, 2019, just three days away from the release of this podcast. The link to purchase Time Slingers is in the show notes. Special thanks to everyone who has supported our re-release. We appreciate all of you. Uh, okay, so uh, when we get to the point of the story where we're in the 70s, we get to see sort of the nuances of the tensions that cause this bleak future. And there's lots of different points of view in this. You know, you have Trask trying to protect the human race from his perspective. Right. You have Charles with his agenda, Eric with his, Raven with hers. Everybody else has theirs too, but let's just focus on those four. And I'm curious whose motivation you think is the most altruistic. Because mm. I don't think any of them are 100%. Right. But, Jay, what do you think? So, 
I'm probably going to put Raven at the most altruistic. Let me go backwards, actually. Trask is, I think, the least altruistic. And I'll tell you why. Because I think he's operating out of a fear basis, and he's not being realistic with himself or others about why he's doing that. Mm. He talks as if he's being altruistic. But I think that underneath, whether he knows it or not, I'm not sure. Um, and, I mean, you have such an amazing actor playing that role. Like, he's able to be a little bit ambivalent about that particular He's able to say things in such a compelling way that you're like, oh, that's reasonable. <laughs> right? But I don't think he's reasonable at all. I think he's... He's able to say things in this cool way, like, where's the handle? <laughs> Sorry, that's a, different, that's a shout out to the Empire. Different yeah, that's a shout out to oh, the Empire. Oh, I got that. Believe me, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I got, honestly, I got Helen's voice in my head because, uh, right now, especially because she, as I'm sure you're aware, has a slight problem with Jennifer Lawrence's Raven in these series. Uh -huh. um, oh, and yeah. yeah, I just, I've, I've, I've got. I know exactly what Helen would be saying right now. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. Um, so I think that Trask is uh, the least altruistic. I think that Eric would be right next to him. Because I don't think Eric is... I think Eric has decided that it is tribal warfare and then my tribe must win. Mm -hmm. Right? And we kind of side with Eric because we see what he's been through. We kind of go like, I can totally see your perspective on that. But I think he's still not really altruistic because I don't think he wants the best for everybody. Yeah. Um, then I think, actually, I would put Raven ahead of Charles. And, and we've already talked about on other shows the problems that I have with Jennifer Lawrence as Raven. Yeah. But I think in this particular film... The difference between the two is that they're both questioning what should be done. It's just that I think that Charles, I think Raven is saying, I'm still questioning what should be done, but I'm still going to be active where I can be active. And I'm not going to join Eric necessarily. I'm not going to join Charles necessarily and take on their perspectives. I'm going to form my own. Whereas Charles has basically said, my perspective failed and I'm just going to escape from society. Yeah. And so I think raven probably has the best shot at becoming altruistic in her frame of reference um but yeah there's nobody like you said there's nobody that's altruistic in this film yeah so. what do you think Amon? i agree again the the correct answer is none of the above mm -hmm. um <laughs> uh, but yeah raven uh definitely out of the four options would be the one i'd pick to um for the reasons for the reasons you said basically and i really love what they do with charles and raven in that relationship um the, the way it concludes is very very satisfying um and not least not least not least because raven up to that point her her actions have been dictated a lot by charles and by eric mm. and those find that final minute is her decision and i really really really, really like that that's a great point yeah yeah, I think um, I don't know. Do you think Trask? How how much of him do you think is really trying to protect the human race, mm -hmm. and how much of him do you think is just a power grab? Well, so I think it's a little different. Well, okay, so so power grab, but in the sense of like there are certain profiles of people we see over time. Um, by the way, there are a bunch of them in Germany at the time we, we were talking about earlier before yeah. the Holocaust where it was like, we're going to see what we can do with science because we can do it. Not, they don't, they don't ask the question of, well, what's the ethical consideration I must have. Yeah. They just say, wow, we're on the, we're on the cutting edge of science and I want to be the guy or the, the lady in that time frame. It was mostly dudes, but 
um, I want to be the person who does this thing. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that that is a dangerous, if, if you, uh, think in terms of pure competition in terms of being the best at something or then, then you can easily, if you think I want to be the best, but I have a, a set of standards that I'm not going to break, then I would say, okay, go for it. If you say, I want to be the best and I don't really care about standards. I don't really care about anything. I'm just going to be the best. Well, that would lead you to the conclusion that you will hurt a lot of other people on your way there. Yeah. And I feel like that's the the model that we're seeing in Trask. He he has, oh, I want to do this. And so what what reason or what rationality do I need to be able to do that? Because when you when he sees Raven, he sees opportunity. He doesn't see Raven and be like, that's a really cool, compelling power that we should we should like study that he goes i want to add that power to my robots so that they become invincible <laughs> right like so yeah. he has an objective his objective is i'm going to create essentially a master robot race that can protect i don't even know if it's protect so much as it is that can rule and if I if I create them, then I am the ruler, and that means I'm the most powerful person in the world. Which we, we quickly see is not true. As soon as they get turned on, he's... I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's like no, we're not going to deal with you. But that, that's, that'll be my thought: is that he's so driven by what he can do that that's the it's there's no altruism, there's yeah. no any of that. It's just you know. Yeah. I think one dictates the other with Trask in terms of um, the scientist and the power grab nature of it. If he could do what he wanted to do without sort of any of the government sort of oversight and the haggling or whatever, then he would be set. But he knows that he needs to, you know, acquire that power and access and everything else to do what he really wants to do, which is the, the robots and the mixing it with Mystique's DNA and what have you. Um, totally. So, yeah, I think, I, I, think, I think they're linked. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think with Charles and Eric and Raven, there's so much just, personal crap between the three of them that clouds everything and i'll come back to that later i've got a question that we'll hit on that later um for now uh my question would be our point of view in this film is essentially logan's point of view right we're following his journey to pull all of this off and um amon how well do you think that works for this story it really works <laughs> it worked really well really well um at this point hugh jackman is the face of the franchise um i know yeah. we just had x-men first class but hugh jackman is the face of the franchise i'm sure just his inclusion and the fact that the film was so focused on him added at least 100 million to the box office easily oh yeah easily um so it's a really smart decision it helps obviously that you know he's one actor in the franchise who doesn't seem to age and you know, <laughs> yeah. that definitely worked out very, very well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I say this, though, as somebody, you know, at the same time, I would have liked to have seen another um, sort of actor in the franchise or another character in the franchise get some more shine. Um, it's been said before, this is not an original thought, but Storm is a great character, and she mm -hmm. has still, over how many films, never gotten her due, which I think... Is yeah. a crime, Kevin Feige. If you're listening, hook your boy up. It needs to be rectified immediately. And in um, the MCU, so, we can connect her to T'Challa too, right? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I've spoken on this. Um, obviously, you know, right now, uh, T'Challa and Nakia are very much a thing. Yeah. Um, so it will be interesting to see um, 
you know, if they do make a pivot. Uh, but I I would love to see that. Uh, there's, there's so much interesting storytelling you could do uh, with them as the ultimate power couple, yeah. uh, especially now that Tony Stark, God rest his soul, is no longer with us. Um, so yeah, that would be interesting. But mm. in terms of this question, um, it absolutely worked very, very well. And Hugh Jackman knocked it out the park. Uh, his his scenes with uh, James McAvoy's Xavier, especially, uh, are just excellent. Mm, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I I um I just keep agreeing with Amon. <laughs> but I will say I will say this. I will be a little harsher with the choice because it works. But I agree with Amon, and I'm going to be a little harsher about it. Stop. Stop focusing on like like this. It's the safe play. It's like oh, we know every. Well, first of all, we know everybody loves Hugh Jackman. Um, we know that Hugh is committed to this role. We know that we can follow him as sort of the, um, uh, how does how do you would you say it? He's sort of if we follow him and we're going with him, then it's like we have an objective perspective on what Charles is and what Eric is. Um, but if we follow Eric a little close more closely, which would have been awesome or a storm like then then would we have actually seen all of these events from a different perspective right yeah. and i think that would have been far more interesting and more something that we would have have had to kind of deal with mentally a little bit more i would love to see an x-men film that followed fastbender's magneto oh yeah i mean that great. yeah that would have <laughs> been amazing um i mean can you imagine like starting out the film with he's in prison and then we're seeing everything from his perspective and we i think it's real easy to see why magneto is magneto when we see his perspective we saw that um, in the first x-men film and we also saw it in first class mm -hmm. where we go oh yeah if you experience that you come to some conclusions real fast yeah. where you got to lash back out at, at people and that people are going to do nefarious things and you've got to cut it off before it occurs that's a really fascinating perspective to follow. So um, I think it really works for this film to follow Wolverine, but it's the safest choice, and we should have, I think, seen it from a different perspective. Yeah, it would be interesting to see it from a different perspective for sure. But uh, it does seem to work for the story because he's kind of the outsider to all of this in right. all of these stories, right? Like right. he's been living his life, doing his thing, and then he encounters the X-Men, and, mm. and he finds a family there, and he builds relationships there, and he finds hope there. But he also kind of sits back and he's like, "What the hell is wrong with all of these people? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, this is, like, why can't they just figure this out?" Yeah. So I think it's a fun perspective. Also, just uh, there's no question about this, but um, I just we just have to say this: Hugh Jackman's committal to this performance, like when he shows up, and he like think of the amount of time he spent in the gym just to be Wolverine true it's ridiculous although a lot of it was spent for the wolverine and then i think he just maintained it for this one well sure in that yeah. movie he doesn't even look human dude it's insane <laughs> uh, he yeah, doesn't look no. human in this movie like he, he's the kind of guy where a lot of a lot of this a lot of the celebrities when i see them i go that dude just took steroids for six months and like you know but i think hugh jackman is the guy that was like no i'm dedicating my life to being a bodybuilder and you're like that's yeah. insane you're yeah. an actor and a bodybuilder Absolutely. He did not skip leg day or chest day <laughs> no. or arm day. He, yeah, he committed. That, that, that scene where he first wakes up in the uh, 70s and um, he gets uh, shot 
and then the bullets uh, pop out, and he did the, his torso. Did, there's so many it, veins. Yeah. <laughs> it just looks like his body's about to explode in any given moment. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's but yeah, no, he's he's great. Yeah. Jim inspiration. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> For sure. It's the same exactly. thing I think when I watch the Creed movies and I see Michael B. Jordan on the poster. I'm like, okay, Michael, I get yeah. the message. I'll go to the gym. <laughs> Calm down. Yep. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You're our model. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Quick little rabbit hole question here. I have to do at least one of these every time. So Eric begins this story in prison, um, presumably for the murder of JFK. And he then claims that he was actually trying to save JFK because he was a mutant. Mm. And I am fascinated by this. So I have a few questions. One, do you think Eric is telling the truth? Two, if so, did Lee Harvey Oswald have some sort of anti-mutant agenda? <laughs> and, <laughs> and three, what do you think Kennedy's mutant power might have been? Oh, man. Go for it, Jay. <laughs> oh, me? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I have no reason to not believe Eric. I'm trying to think if there's any time in the X-Men franchise where Eric has lied. I actually feel like Eric is a character that has a lot of integrity. Well, he says to Raven, like... She says something like, you didn't lie to me, and he says, I never have and I never will. Right. Yeah. So I feel like he has a lot of integrity. Like, he's never hiding behind what he's up to. He's like, no, dude, like, I'm against humans. They're going to do bad things to us, and I'm just going to – I'm going to do things first. Yeah. So, you know, I think – so I, I think he's telling the truth. Um, I think that it's – I think that, that um, this story of JFK is a fascinating one because it shows up in so much of our pop culture. It's, I mean, it's it's – what is it like 50 years ago now that like that it happened and, and there's or maybe even 60 and yeah. there's so much pop there's so many pop culture references to it we ha we had we're re-releasing our time travel novel uh oh yeah it comes out a week from friday new. and it's in there it's yeah. in there right like <laughs> almost all time travel stories have to go back in some way shape or form to jfk it was most recently in umbrella academy like, yeah. um and so i think that there's all these conspiracy theories surrounding this so i think it's fun to play with and I think it's easy to see somebody like Lee Harvey Oswald, who was certainly brainwashed, maybe not by the Russians or the CIA, but certainly brainwashed some way, shape, or form in his upbringing. And then, so if we have, if we were able to put like a little spin on that, that's really interesting. I think it's fun. So yeah. like for me to go, yeah, Lee Harvey Oswald. Not only was he brainwashed, but also to be anti-mutant. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Like throw yeah. that in there. It's it's a fascinating thing to explore. Um, and then if, if you're talking about Kennedy's mutant power, I would say uh, I would have to go with influence. Yeah. There are certain presidents that we've had that just have a level of influence that is really fascinating because people just seem to be drawn to them, compelled to look at their lives in interesting ways. They might not even be um, they might not even be considered a great president uh, by a large part of our population. because I know nobody agrees on this, though. But at the same time, we're drawn to them, right? It's hard not to get like sucked into a Bill Clinton speech, right? Yeah. No matter what you think of him politically, he, you're listening to him going like, "This guy knows what he's talking about," yeah. whether or not he knows. Like, so I think that Kennedy had that level of influence over people. Yeah, uh, we, they even him and Jackie both like they were a part of this cultural um the iconicness and and he was even making decisions that you know were probably pretty controversial related to cuba and things so i i just think that maybe influence he's able yeah. to influence people and well in our country a lot of people in our country have a love affair with the whole kennedy family yep like uh, being a kennedy 
is a compliment. You know, <laughs> right, it's like, right, oh, right, that's right. a Kennedy. You Unless know? you're Ted. Unless so, you're Ted. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> so, Amon, I'm curious, you being from the UK, um, what's your what's your take on these questions? Um, first of all, I would so watch a movie about this. Um, <laughs> you know, absolutely. I, I, it sort of reminds me of Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, but instead JFK <laughs> and Mutants. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. You know, we I'm could in. do that. Sign me up. Yep. <laughs> um, I agree that uh, Magneto ain't lying. Um, he's not the kind of guy who would be shy about admitting who he's killed or who he's tried to kill. Mm. And this is, you know, the it's too crazy a theory to, to, to say without it being true. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely believe Magneto. Uh, telepathic persuasion definitely... It's probably the one I go with too. Although, if you believe some of the rumors out there, I remember people saying at the time that that JFK's power was seducing women. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that too. Um, but yes, make the movie is, is, is my take. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I second that. Let's yeah. make that movie. I'm right there with you guys. Even I had the same idea for the power too. I see him as sort of a Charles. You yeah, know, like yeah, yeah. he has some sort of telepathic influence ability. Yeah, but he's trying to use it well yep you know yeah and then nixon's superpower is he's an idiot yeah well that's what's funny about this movie is i mean i guess we saw a little bit of kennedy in first class right they have some representation of him in some way oh yeah i think i think so but um but we see a lot of nixon in this we see a lot of nixon and we're supposed to have compassion for the president and we're supposed to worry about the president and it's like well why did you put that one in the movie if we're supposed to care about him right yeah (laughs) By it's the way, like, we live we live not too far. Are we supposed far. to care about Trump now too? I yeah. Mean, like. <laughs> I don't know. We we live not too far from the Nixon Library. That's true. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which, Which is, is a nice we, place. It's a super nice place. Yeah. It's it's a very I want I haven't actually been there besides going to a wedding on the premises cuz yeah. it's so nice. Um, which is weird. Like we had a, our wedding at the Nixon Library. You're like, oh, interesting. Like, yeah, it is mm-hmm. nice there, and no one would ever know that if you said it. But are there tapes? <laughs> <laughs> like, wh- how does that work? <laughs> Anyways, yes. But I agree. Make the movie. Maybe ho- maybe Oswald could have been an agent of Sebastian Shaw in some way. Oh, that would be cool. I don't know. Magic is coming together right now. I yeah, know. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, let me go to this question here. And Amon, this is one I didn't send you ahead of time. This is one that Jay wrote, but um, we're going to dive into this. So you're the one I have to blame for this, Jay. Okay. Yeah, you have to blame Yeah, blame me for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, so older Charles speaks with younger Charles about hope and its importance. So what do we think they mean by hope in this context, and how does that influence or impact your own view of hope? And Jay, out of sheer mercy for not preparing him on whatsoever, I'm going to make you go yeah, first yeah. on this one. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I think whenever hope comes up in films, it's always – not always. It's a lot of times a tricky subject for me. And that's, that's why I thought of the question as I was watching the film. Because older Xavier is trying to give younger Xavier hope for the future. And I'm like – but look at the future, dude. Like the guy who's trying to give the younger guy hope is in a future that is <laughs> the worst. Um, and I think I feel when you when I look at my life, when I look at newspapers, when I look at the course of that we've taken as human beings, yes, we have made some significant progress in a lot of areas. 
but I don't look around me and just go like, wow, the world is such a hopeful place. I mean, yeah. like you could make arguments. People have made arguments that we're living at some of the best times in human history in terms of lack of warfare and lack of infighting amongst nations and cultures and whatever. Right. Um, and I'm not going to make that argument because I don't have enough data to make that argument at all. Doesn't feel that way. Yeah, but it doesn't feel <laughs> that way. And that's what yeah. that's what it comes down to. It usually doesn't feel that way. And so I, I look around and I go, man, I, I don't. Hope is an interesting emotion that humans can experience because we have it. If we didn't have it, it'd be a pretty devastating life to live without hope. If you only had despair, you wouldn't come to the conclusion that life was worth continuing. Well, that's a very extreme thing to say, and I don't mean to downplay anybody who's out there experiencing those kind of thoughts. I, I I'm very sensitive to that. I don't want to communicate that. I'm just, this is a philosophical argument. Yeah. Um, but so I, I think like, like hope, when we talk about hope, we, we have to think about like, well, what are we hoping for? In this case, Xavier is hoping for a better future, not only for mutants, but for the entire world. He's not living in that future. That future has not occurred. He is living in a future where despair exists and he's trying to get hope back into the equation and he's trying to convince younger Xavier that younger Xavier could make those different that make that difference. But at the same time, he wasn't able himself to make the difference. So there's some regret in the conversation. So I don't know. I think I think that I myself for my in my personal life take hope as a uh, beyond earth, beyond the physical. I'll say that beyond the physical realm. Um, into the spiritual realm, like, okay, well, I have a hope of something that exists beyond physical, but hope in the physical for me is very challenging because while I have it, while I hope that a lot of people listen to this podcast and like get something from it, not just because we're all geeks, but also like, oh yeah, like how do we want to think about how to prevent another Holocaust? I would love for you to think that way. Yeah. Like, that'd be awesome. Yeah. But at the same time I go, yeah, I mean, like that's just one small cog in this big machine. Um, and man, sometimes the big machine just seems to be more dis full of despair than it seems to be full of hope. And even in the movie, it kind of points to that with how the future ends up. So I, it, it occurred to me as a question that I don't really have a great answer to, but I, I, I feel like we do need hope. We do need to put hope in specific things. And then how do we get there? How do we continue with that hope? How do we not experience despair? Man, I think it takes a lot of connections between people. I think it does take some thinking about spiritual perspectives, even if you come to the conclusion that you want to take a spirit, the spiritual realm doesn't exist conclusion. Well, then how do you find hope out of that? I think you need to look for it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very complex subject. I don't have definitive answers about it, but I think they throw it into the stories and they throw it into films in ways that make us get this like really warm feeling. But then I'm like, but what do I do with that? Because I'm not sure what to do yeah. with that. And that's how I, that's how I felt after seeing this scene. Um, I felt really good about it. Like, and actually, Amon, you said it. Like, that's a fantastic scene, right? Like, it's a great scene. Like, um, if it didn't happen, we wouldn't have the change in Charles that we need from his character arc perspective. Like, that solidifies his. I need to act differently in my life. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but like, I don't know. What do we do with it, though? So I, that's just my philosophical storyteller. How do we deal with these themes? Yeah. Perspective on it. What do you think, Amon? You have a reaction to that? Whew. That's a lot. <laughs> um, well, here's, here's the first thing I'm going to say, because I know that if I don't say it now, I'm going to forget it. Uh, I I've already mentioned John Altman earlier uh, mm, in yeah. this podcast, but 
there's a specific theme he has for uh, Xavier in both this film and Apocalypse. It's called the Hope theme, mm. and it plays in this scene, and it's just incredible. Just mm. soft, peaceful, gives you that warm feeling. Um, he sort of mixes it in with the fanfare and the final track of both this score and the Apocalypse score, and it works a treat both times. It's one of my favorite sort of tracks in the whole X-Men canon. It's great. Um, so I have to say that. Um, you know, this scene is really, really great and really, really powerful. And there's something beautiful in that, you know, I believe there's a line akin to it. I'm not sure you sa- who says it, but uh, I think it might be Wolverine, that hope is Xavier's greatest power. Um, mm-hmm. And it shows and you absolutely believe it. And there's something inspiring about a guy who, as he said, his future sucks. Um, mm. But he still has the capacity for that. Mm. And, you know, I'll answer this question in a little bit more personal manner. As, you know, as I mentioned, I, I am a freelance film journalist and there are, it's, it's, <laughs> it can be very, very tough uh, mm. without going into detail. Um, but scenes like this in films like this a reminder that you know you got to keep going mm-hmm. and i guess that's the main thing i take away from it when the, the other sort of you know big film or scene about hope that's coming to mind i guess right now for me is shawshank redemption which is probably mm-hmm. my favorite if not one of my favorite films of all time and that's a really big part of that film as well and i take the same message from it Mm. um because otherwise i feel like hope is like one of if not the biggest thing that separates magneto from xavier yeah and once you close yourself off to the idea of hope then you're walking a very dangerous path which is the path that magneto at least fazbender's version of magneto Mm. is walking because he has no hope. He doesn't even want to consider, um, you know, the chance of humans and mutants existing together peacefully. Mm. So, really good. Yeah, and that's actually a great segue into my next question. So we talked about older Charles. Let's talk about older Magneto now. Older Magneto tells Logan that when he goes into the past, he's going to have to bring Eric and Charles together at a time when they couldn't be farther apart, is how he says it. Once again, placing their relationship at the very center of this whole mutant human struggle. So my question is, why does it always come back to Eric and Charles? And why do you think their relationship has so much power over the outcome of this quote unquote war? Mm. So what do you think, Amon? I think it, it comes back to those two because they so perfectly embody the two opposing sides. And just if for nothing else uh, other than like ease of storytelling that will or having a clearly defined motive for you know the good and the evil and characters that can embody that that will always work and in terms of you know the the amount of power that they wield um it's not just the amount of power of the, it's, it's not just the power but it's also the persuasive persuasiveness of each argument um and i feel like if either left unchecked especially magneto the balance will be tipped too far in one direction. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's, I think that's why it's always going to come down to those two. Mm. 
Yeah. Did you have a perspective on it? I like sometimes I like kicking it to you first. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, no, I think I it's pretty much the same answer for me. Like they really are the two opposing sides. Like mm. one of them is let's find a way to coexist and one of them is no, these people are a threat to our existence. We have to care for our own. Mm. And um they are also it seems sort of the if you look at the history of the X-Men, these two seem to be the most public yeah. mutants, mm-hmm. sort of, you know? Like, they're sort of the ones that are at the core of they're exposing the, the existence of mutants yeah. to the rest of the world. Right. So having it sort of pass through their perspectives makes sense. Mm. Now, when you say when you ask the question about just forgiving each other, what do you oh, think? I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> well, Spoiler alert. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Why, why yeah, I, just, I totally derailed you. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. Why don't you go there first? <laughs> oh, you want to tie yeah, that in? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, okay, so the question Jay is referring to uh, is this last question I had here. So, in my opinion, this film has some nasty grudges in it. <laughs> like, like Xavier and Eric especially, they just have this terrible grudge against each other. Um, so I'm curious how things would be different if Charles, Eric, and Raven were somehow able to just forgive each other. And then how different could our lives be if forgiveness was a stronger presence in our own world? Yeah. So why don't you start on that? <laughs> well, and okay. Answer so, both of those well, questions. Well, yeah, because I, I was thinking about it in the context of, so you, you use the word like forgiveness, which I think is a really powerful word. And I'm wondering, like, what have they done to each other where they need to kind of forgive one another? Because they, it's almost more like there's an ideological battle between them as opposed there to, like, is. offensive personal battle. But if you look at especially the scene on the airplane mm-hmm. when Eric and Charles are kind of yeah. hashing things out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They say, um, you know, Eric tells Charles, he's like, you abandoned all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and Charles, is he tells Eric, he's like, you took everything from me. Right. And so... Yes, there's the, the the larger ideological battle between them, but they have very clearly hurt each other yes. directly and personally throughout this process That's too, which really informs their behavior. Yeah, so I, I one of the things Magneto is one of my favorite villains of all time because I feel like he has all of the background for the, giving him the appropriate rationale for doing what he does. Um, I think he's a perfect counterpoint to Charles. I think that if you look at the way that the world works. I mentioned I said this to my wife the other day when we were driving around. I said, "You know, I would love to think that the world could change without some level of um violence or protest." Like like but sometimes it feels like the world can't. Like it it feels like we can't get behind an idea until the people that feel like that idea is really important. So whether you take like go all the way back to the formation of our country, Right. It's like, well, you could probably work this out somehow between us and um, and England. Right. But we didn't. It became violent. It became like you look at civil rights. Like there's a lot of times when I'm like, dude, does it end up in the right place if it doesn't get violent? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to believe that that's true. I don't. And nor do I advocate for violence. But that's why I love the 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 struggle between Charles and Eric. Yeah. Because one of them says, Eric, or Charles, you're not going to get anybody, you're not going to get anybody to come to the conclusions that you want them to come to. Um, and, and Charles is like, then what world would we live in if that's not the case? Right. So, so then there's this like really interesting social struggle aspect to, to these two characters. Um, so 
I think that they're not as far apart as their actions would suggest that they are mm -hmm. and that some really good conversations could be had to say hey look how about we only go your route if this happens and instead we try my my route first and that they, that they could work through those things as sort of a team so yeah that's where i think forgiveness could become a big part of it because i think that they've each subverted one another's actions because of the way that their ideologies have played out where if they came to a more similar ideological framework and said, Hey, look, we want humans and mutants to be equals. We don't think that that's going to be an easy thing to do. Therefore, if we see these things occur, Magneto, you got to take over with your perspective. But if we, otherwise we're using mine yeah. and then they could work through their differences with forgiveness, which is, I think a really good word for it. Um, then I think that would be the best way forward and forgiveness would be a key piece of it. Let me jump on something you said there, and then, yeah. Amon, I'll let you come in and just correct all of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so two things. One, you said uh, you were talking about the approach of let's try my way first, and if that doesn't work, we'll do this. Let's come together as a yeah. team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's first class, right? Right. Like, that's what they did in first class. Right. And it didn't go well. No, it did not go And then well. you were talking about um, <laughs> does everything have to come to violence? Right. And... I would hope not too. Yeah. But what I do feel like is true is humans are stubborn. Yeah. We're stubborn. And if we think something, we hold to it. And it's hard to get us to let go of it yep. until it costs us something. Absolutely. So that's a lot of times where the violence comes in. It's like, no, I'm going to think my way yeah. until it costs me something. And right. then I'm forced to think, oh, shoot, yeah. maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's kind of where this forgiveness question comes from yep because i don't think that at least charles and eric are recognizing what this stubborn disagreement between the two of them is truly costing them and costing everybody else yeah it feels like like what you're saying it feels like what you're saying is social change and cultural chains change has to come from you first yeah because uh, we do i think a lot of times we don't look at it that way right like we look at it like as if the government is some magical thing that's able to just like solve the problems of the world and it's like the government only exists and only does what the individuals and then those tribes that make up the sub-government structure um or even if take it outside the form of government like just take it off like take away national borders and things and it's like it all comes from your heart dude like that's where it starts it starts from your character your decision making you tomorrow if we all decided that we should do something about climate change guess what we could do it if it wasn't if it wasn't a government thing mm -hmm. like we don't need the government to tell us what to do we can just do the right thing in the first place and i'm not saying that we do that we don't always do that right but I think what you're saying is a really powerful tool for us coming to conclusions. We don't need someone else to, we can start making change personally. Yeah. Do that first. Anyways. Yeah. Sweet. All right. <laughs> Amon, enlighten us. Take us home. <laughs> um, very interesting points, both of you. Uh, for me, any change or any forgiveness would just be temporary. And I think mm -hmm. we have evidence of that in the X-Men world. You mm -hmm. look at um, X-Men Apocalypse. Magneto, he's chilling out, matching and relaxing, and then humans go and start acting up a fool, and then <laughs> all of a sudden he's back to old-school Magneto. Right. And then, for some reason, after that, you know, the, 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 the film ends with, you know, Magneto, 
you know, putting together the X-Men mansion and, you know, the world being absolutely fine, okay, with him having destroyed half of the world with Apocalypse. No biggie. It's fine. Continue. We'll give a nice plot of line for Dark Phoenix. Dark Phoenix is just chilling out, Maxim and Laxon. Then all of a sudden, it's Charles versus Xavier again. <laughs> and it, it's just the the ideological battle between those two is always going to come back to that. And then the actions which will require forgiveness will be born out of that. Mm. Um, you know, it's the, it's, it's the reason why, you know, this franchise started in the 2000, 20 years later, Charles and Eric are still having the same argument. <laughs> I guarantee you in some, you know, ridiculous, you know, timeline messed up version there's Michael Fassbender's Magneto and Patrick Stewart's Xavier still arguing, probably over a game of chess, the same argument that they've been having for two decades. There's always going to come <laughs> back to that. Um, so any forgiveness, um, yeah, is, is going to be temporary. Um, mm. No matter sort of, uh, you know, what grudges may come of the actions, it's just it's it's always going to come back to to, to the to the ideology, and that's very that's much harder to forgive or forget or to change, mm. um, especially when they have the ramifications for the world uh, that they do with these two, with these characters. Yeah. So the real solution is to have Eric move in with his auntie and his uncle in Bel Air. <laughs> <laughs> why? Wait, why? The, why that? <laughs> you know, Maxin yeah. and relax it. I'm oh like, God. God, God, God. <laughs> I did not make that connection, so <laughs> that's my bad. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, that's a terrible place to end the podcast, so I'm not going to. <laughs> um, but I am out of questions. Is there anything else that you guys have just been wanting to get off your chest about X-Men Days of Future Past before we wrap this up? What? Not specifically about X-Men Days of Future Past, and you may have already discussed this on another podcast, so, so apologies, but uh, what are your thoughts about the X-Men joining the MCU and... Mm what that could potentially lead to, and how excited are you for it? Mm. We're very excited for that. Let me ask you another question before I answer that. Mm. Okay. Do you have a little bit of extra time? Yeah. Okay. Then what we're going to do is we're going to end this podcast, and we will talk about that as our aftercast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Okay. And I, ha and I have some really fun, uh, hopefully fun, perspectives on that. So, ho so hopefully people cool. will join us. Cool. So yeah, so we'll wrap this one up and then we'll we'll hit on that in our aftercast that our patrons can check out. But before we wrap this up, Amon, remind everybody where they can find you again. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at a woman. You can find all my musings there. I actually just posted a tweet earlier today. I was on radio earlier this week. I'm not sure if you guys have seen Stuba yet. Uh, no, uh, not yet. Dave I Batista. Know. So I've seen it. And basically... Obviously, that movie has Eco Uwe in it, and you know, anybody who knows, you know, the Raid and the Raid 2 will know how special the guy sure. Eco Uwe is. Mm. But similar to what they do in Mile 22, they just don't know how to film this guy's action sequences. And it really frustrated me, and I went on a bit of a mad, angry rant. It's on my Twitter <laughs> feed right now. Feel free to check that out. I am also on YouTube. The YouTube channel's name is Amonymous. Awesome. Well, thanks for being with us, man. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. This has been fun. That is it for today's show. Special thanks again to Amon Warman for joining us. You can also go check him out on several episodes of the Empire Podcast, so highly recommend you do that. This was episode number three in our X-Men series. Again, be sure to check out last week's episode on making X-Men Apocalypse better. 
And coming up next week, we are going to rank all of the X-Men films. So subscribe on your preferred podcast provider to make sure you don't miss any of that. If you enjoy the Story Geeks podcast, please share our show with a geek friend or review the Story Geeks on Apple Podcasts. So we're going to start recording our aftercast right now, so I hope you'll join us for that as well. Amon is still going to be with us, and we're going to be talking about the X-Men in the MCU. So get more information on our aftercast and all of our other content over at storygeeks.com. Thank you for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories, and always seek the truth. Special thanks to these amazing people who help us produce the Story Geeks podcast by supporting us on Patreon. We'd also love it if you'd become one of those people and you'd get access to special benefits. Here are those people. Anthony Holder, Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Brianna, Bryce Cox, Connie Moe, Jessica Pritchett, Jim and Mary Baldwin, Joshua Beckham, Jeremy and Kimberly Lujeau, Julian Armstrong, Monty Thigpen, Nick Prokop, Ray DeLeon, Samuel Pelokin, and Wade Johnson. To gain access to our aftercast and unlock more Patreon rewards or just support the show, please head over to thestorygeeks.com for more information.